0: Come on, you guys awake this morning, seriously, come on, that was awesome. We had 19 baptized last week, as we've been saying it, 16 plus 3, that's just awesome. We had 16 saying, hey, I'm going to be baptized in 3, just got, just worked on their hearts and responded just in the moment, and that was just a beautiful thing, uh, just to see them respond to Jesus in the moment and say, I... I'm going to follow him, you know, and just just declare that in a moment publicly. That was awesome. It was such a good event. So much fun just to see that. Just, I believe, a sign of the things to come uh, here at the church and all that God is doing. And he's doing that through each one of you. Amen? Good stuff. All right. Well, today we're going to be wrapping up uh, Acts chapter 1. So we've been walking through Acts uh, verse by verse over the past couple weeks. And um, it's been a lot of fun for me. I don't know if it's been fun for you or not. Um, but I've been enjoying it, and uh, it's been fun just studying it. Um, you know, one of the things each week I keep saying is, is that my hope is that as we do this and as we go through and, and, and look at these um, passages, that you fall deeper in love with the Word of God. And um, I know for me, you know, I, just, I, I keep saying it every week, is that I go through in just one verse. There's so much stuff in one verse first. I believe we leave it in exciting times because we're just discovering more and more how true God's Word is. As time goes on this thing does not become uh, more irrelevant. It actually becomes more relevant. It becomes more uh, truthful. It becomes that much more powerful as time, history, archaeology, all of those things continue to reveal its truth and validity. And we have so much information, documentation, studies and research and all types of things on God's Word that when we go in just look at one verse it's just amazing the things that you can find and just see what God is speaking to us today. And uh, so I hope you fall more and more in love with God's Word. As we've been talking through Acts chapter 1, really um, there was an intention of going through Acts chapter 1 other than just, it's an amazing book, but it's the story of the beginning of the church. And for us, as a campus, we're starting anew. We started anew, launching in January um, in a new facility, uh, new leadership, new structures, new opportunities of putting up chairs and tearing down chairs and laying out carpet and, and all of those fun things. So it's new. It's all new. And here we're looking at Acts, where the church is starting. It's a new experience. It's a new way of things. It's Jesus has come, and he's died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's issuing in uh, his kingdom. He's, he's launched his kingdom in the, the beginning of his kingdom, and he, now he's gonna be carrying out through his church. It's new. It's new experiences for disciples. They're trying to figure things out. Uh, they're going through, and a large part, stumbling through of just kind of like, how do we do this thing? What does this look like? Um, how does this thing figure out? They're weighing out uh, feelings. They're weighing out emotions. They're weighing out loss of, of desires. They thought one thing was going to be this way, and then they see it's another thing, and then people fail them, and all of this stuff is present, and God is working through all of those things, and he starts his church, which has transformed this world. It's transformed this world, in over 2,000 years, it went from a small group of people that believed And now it's millions and billions of people to believe and follow Jesus Christ, and it's a powerful thing to see what happened. And so what I hope is, is that you fall in love with the scriptures more and more as you see the depth, the truth, and the power of God's word. But also, too, hope that as a church, as a campus, that we're excited of what can be when we center around the person of Jesus Christ. When we look to him as Lord and Savior, when we lift him up and we say, God, I want to live my life for you, and I want people to know the truth of Jesus Christ. Nothing else but the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth that he lived, the truth that he died, and the truth that he rose from the grave, and the truth that he has set all things right. And I want people to know that truth. And when we come together as a group, when we come together as a body, when we come together as a church around that God does miraculous things that we could never have planned, never have hoped for, and never even have asked for. And what I hope is, is that you, as I have, become more and more excited of of what God wants to do through this church. That we see that he's given us an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing and what he started since eternity past. And that he has got planned out now that he's called us to be together, his church, for his purposes he's given us an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing, and he's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to do what's beyond us. And that's exciting, friends. That's exciting to see that we get to be a part of God's plans, and that should excite us to do what he's called us to do. He hasn't called us just to come and sit in chairs and just hope that one day everything gets figured out in our heads, but He's called us to be an active part of what He's doing, to experience Him, to live life in Him through His Holy Spirit so that we can do what He's called us to do. And I hope that you and I are excited in that, that as a church we're excited in reaching this world, reaching our community, reaching our workplaces, reaching our homes for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's say that He was real, He lived. He died, and he rose again, and he's in heaven, and he's coming back again. Amen? God, we thank you so much for being able to be here today. And I can't say that enough, and I truly thank you for it, because there's there's life that is found when we come together as your church to worship you. God, you are here. Your presence is in this place God, I pray that you encourage and excite each and every one of us. God, to live our lives full on for you. God, to be aware of you, to be aware of your presence, to be aware that you are God with us. God, I pray that today as we go through your word that you will open our eyes to that truth even that much more powerfully. God, that you will help us today. God, to walk out of this place encouraged to be your witnesses. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, so first, before we get started, I'm just gonna do something. I'm gonna ask you guys to do something just to help me out this morning, alright? I've done this once before, and you guys cooperated. I'm gonna ask you guys, can we all move to the middle this morning? Can we all move to the middle? Just get up. You can walk and stretch and be connected. Last week we talked about last week we talked about gathering together, right? And how important that is and how biblical it is and how good it is, right? So gathering together is good. Plus, this week, as I'll tell you here in a second, this week's been a a, a straining week. It's been an exhausting week for me. And the energy of going like this, (laughs) I just don't know if I have it. So doing this is good. And plus, everybody being together like this excites me that much more, right? So who knows what's going to happen? So good stuff. All right. So, this week, um, man, it's been a crazy week. I don't know about anybody else, but I know I've talked to a couple people, and they've just been like, man, this week has just been a, a week like none other, right? That it's just been one of those weeks where it just seems like everything and anything you don't want to have happen has happened, right? It's just been one of those weeks. I see a couple people like, yep, yep, yep. So, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if it's just something the planets have lined the right way, or I have no clue what's going on, but it's just been one of those weeks, you know? And uh, I know for me personally, it's been exhausting. It's just been one of those weeks where I've just been exhausted all week long, um, where you just don't feel like you can catch up with anything. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I, when I can't accomplish things, right, when I can't check things off the to-do list, I get really just tired and worn out. Is anybody with me? You just get just tired, you just get beat up? Or how many of you guys, that's fulfilling to you? You're like, yay! I didn't even have to worry about my checklist. Yay! Anybody like that? You're just good? No? Okay, so we're all type A people. We like checking things off. How many of you guys are with me? You're type A, you got your check boxes and you just like to check things off. All right, good. How many of you more free-spirited? You don't even have paper in your house, right? Because you don't need to create a list ever. Okay, all right. All right, well, good. Well, we need you guys, right, to help us, all right, balance us out. But it's just been one of those weeks here. It's just been exhausting. Um, you know, we just personally don't have, you know, just in the season of life we're in right now, we don't have a ton of margin, which isn't a healthy thing. It's not a good thing, but it's just a reality of our life um, right now. And it's, it's one of the things you know so I was talking to somebody recently you know and I was like you know for us we get to choose what we're not doing this week instead of choosing what we get to do this week right and so um it's been an extra week of that where it's just kind of like you're just going through and you look at things like i'm not going to do this today <sighs> that means that i'm not going to do this and i'm not going to do this and i'm not going to do this because i got to do this, right? And it's just one of those things It's just been exhausting. It's been draining. And you're just like, man, I'm just telling you. I'm just ready for this week to be over. I'm excited to be here at church today because we get to start a new week, right? And hopefully this week's different. And so as I go through and I look at that, like, I think about the disciples and where they are at this point, right? They're now, you know, approaching 10 days into Jesus having been risen from the dead and, and hanging, or, well, so 40 days from him being risen from the dead, and close to now another 10 days of him before, um, after he's ascended to um, heaven. And they're sitting there and they're waiting, right? They're just waiting and they're just like, okay, I, this is, something's gonna happen. He's given us a promise and we're just waiting and just wanna, and you see them as we get into our text today, they start just getting antsy and they just wanna start doing something right? And I can just know what it's like. You just want to do something. You don't even care. You know what I'm saying? Just, I just want to say that I did something. Uh, I was reading, uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw it on Facebook, there was an um, article going around. Talking, it was a former Marine um, talking about what he learned in boot camp, right? And uh, his number one thing that he learned that was the life-changing thing that you can do every single day is the number one thing you should do is make your bed in the morning because it starts your day off right because you've accomplished a task as soon as you get out of bed, right? And he says it makes you that much more productive that the rest of the day you're just always accomplishing something. It builds up your wins, right? I was like, that's pretty encouraging. Still not gonna make my bed. So, (laughs) right, what's the point, right? I mean, you're gonna get right back into it, right? I mean, come on. Anyways, you make your bed when somebody's gonna come over and they're gonna happen to see your room. That's when you make your bed, right? But so... You know, I just look at, you know, it's just like they just want to accomplish something. They just want to do something. And I just remember feeling that this week, even myself. of just wanting to get things done and just saying, I, I just want to just be able to check something off. I want to be able to say, oh, okay, that's done. We're moving forward. And the exhaustion that can come when you just don't feel like you are. And we can get lost sometimes in ourselves and just try to trying to figure things out, trying to make things happen. And, and really, sometimes that can get us into a dangerous spot. It can get us into a spot where we're trying to force something to happen instead of allowing things to happen. And so today we're gonna be in Acts chapter one, and we're gonna be starting in verse 15. And I'm gonna be reading the New Living Translation, so hopefully you got your Bibles today and hopefully got you open there. How many of you guys are in Acts chapter 15? If you got it, let me hear you say, uh-huh. All right, not everybody, so that's okay. We're not going to judge you. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. <laughs> During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, The scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. And one of the things, real quick, what we're going to do today is I'm just going to kind of read and then I'm going to give you a couple thoughts. We're going to go back to the beginning and I've just got three things that we're going to look at today as far as application for us. So, go through and look at this. You see 120 believers were gathered together in one place. This 120, we know that it was the 11 disciples, right? And then there was the 70 disciples, the 70 followers of Christ as well. And so you're looking at 81 people right there. So there's another 39 people that makes up this 120 people, which I'm assuming would be, in large part, the list that's given to us above, right? and then maybe even some of the people that had encountered Christ after his resurrection, resurrection, which we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and talked briefly about last week, that Jesus appeared at one time to over 500 people in a group setting, and he could have done it any other time as well. And so there's at least hundreds, if not thousands, of people that have seen Jesus risen from the dead and that he appeared to, and we've got a group of 120 people gathered together, waiting and expecting. This is an interesting thought, and I think one of the things just to pull out, too, is just that that there's a current theme that I think we can just pull out today, and this is really what I'm going to notice and really hit on today, is that this number of 120 is a significant number to Jewish people, because when they're developing a new town or a new community, when they were trying to set up their court system, which is the Sanhedrin, they had to have 120 people to be able to be on the Sanhedrin to have their own governing body, so their own court system. And so... There's something interesting, I think, that this number is 120 to their Jewish culture, saying that they are, in themselves, able to make decisions and govern themselves. And so I think that's just an interesting fact. And, and as we go through, I'll, I'll point out a couple of things of, of just their Jewish culture. And that's one of the things we've got to remember and keep in mind is that they were Jews. And so they're, they're in, in, in their understanding, in their culture, and their habits, they do what they know to do. Right, Because of what they've been raised in, what they've been taught in. And Jesus, throughout his journey, and throughout his ministry, was defragmenting all of those things and teaching them something new. And so what we see here is disciples gather together, and there's 120. And I think a second thing to kind of look at, too, is just a relevant thing to understand as well, is that you think about the fact that there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people that Jesus appeared to, and there's a small select number. Maybe they intentionally did it, but also, too, it could just be that when you look at people, and you look at their lives, you can see people that have been decided to, to confess Jesus as Lord and to live their lives out following Christ. And then you can see people that just simply believed in Jesus. They just simply said, yeah, I believe that he's real and I believe that he existed, but it didn't change or transform their actions. And I think it's a caution for us that even in the beginning of the church that you can look and you can see that there's a small group of people that are gathered together in what could have been a larger group. And again, maybe they did it intentionally. I don't want to read too much into it. But I do think as you go through and you look at scriptures, you can see consistently that there's people that consistently rejected who Jesus was. But it wasn't always that they just complete apathy said, I don't believe in you, and and they just turned on him. A large part it was, I just can't accept the life you're calling me to. And so as Christians, as as members of a church, as people, as we talked about last week, the importance of gathering together around Jesus and and what that does for us as a church, that we want to come gathered not around an idea of who Jesus is, but we want to come gathered around who Jesus is as Lord. risen. And living a perfect life. Now sitting at the throne of God, interceding for us. That's who Jesus is. And we want to come centered around that, confessing him as the Lord, not just believing in an idea or philosophy as, of him as God. It's just an interesting thought that we want to pull out. And so we've got 120 people um, gathered together, and Peter then stands up and addresses them. He stands up as a cultural thing um, when you're speaking. Um, unlike I'm doing today, their culture <laughs> um, was, is that out of respect for the people, so I don't respect you, um, out of the respect that the people you're speaking to, you would stand up when you're preaching. So Hugh got that, and that was awesome. So anyways, <laughs> I do respect you. I was the same because I'm sitting, but anyways. So he stood up out of respect, and out of leadership, he stood up. Peter's identified as Jesus, uh, as he's following Jesus, Peter is continually identified as Jesus' main guy that he's leaning on. Jesus always goes through, and we even talk about as a church, there's large circles, and he continually makes the circles smaller. It makes them smaller all the way to the point of Peter. And Peter stands up as a leader, stands up out of his respect, and he begins speaking to them, and he speaks to them from scriptures. He says, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through the King David. And I want you to get that right there, because that's absolutely massive, all right? This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David, If you want to know that this is God's word, that this is not just words that were written by man, but that this is God's word written by the Holy Spirit, it is affirmed in here, in the New Testament, in Peter, the rock, right? Peter, the man who was starting the church, the man who's standing up in this moment, he starts off and says, listen, the word of God. Not David the king said, but the word of God, the Holy Spirit spoke. This thing is God's word. It is living. It is true. It is our source of truth. It is our source of hearing God speak to us. That is amazing stuff right there. So this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. And that's a powerful thing right there just to think about, that Judas shared in the ministry and then he turned on them. So put yourself in their place and you think about the failures that they're feeling, the the, the rejection they're feeling, the anger they're feeling, that somebody who was close to them, somebody who was trusted by them, somebody who was loved by them has completely turned on them. They did life together. They served together. They, they trusted each other with their own very lives together. They trusted each other with their family. They trusted each other, uh, him with their money. They had trusted him with all of these things, and he turned on them, rejected them, gave up their Lord to be murdered. He did life with them, and you feel in this moment where they are. Peter's like, hey, we've got to address something in the room. Verse eighteen. This would be in my Bible. I've got it. It's, it's written in parentheses. This would be Luke interjecting interjecting a thought in the middle of what Peter is saying here. But in verse eighteen, he said, "Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery." Uh, falling headfirst, there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akelma, which means field of blood. Again, just this is a reminder that Luke is writing Acts, and he's writing it um, as a as a narrative, as a uh, an investigative journalist, is what we've been saying throughout the past couple weeks to inform um, mainly Theophilus, who he's writing to, but audiences. Um, as well of of people that he knew weren't there in the circumstances, that weren't there in the surroundings of what took place. So he's speaking to them, and he's saying, hey, listen, this is what happened to Judas. He's just reminding, he's filling in the details of the story. This isn't a timeline necessarily, so I wanted to make sure I pointed that out. This is an interjection by Luke in the middle of Peter's thoughts, because sometimes that can just be like, I don't understand what's going on here. This isn't as if this happened immediately, or, you know what I'm saying, this is a time past event that that Judas was killed. Now they're in a situation of dealing with it. The thought that it's this property where he died is, and it's called, it shows that that happened a while later, right? And so Peter's, or Luke's now coming back together, pulling on this information together for people to read so they can understand what took place, right? Does that make sense? So verse 20. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were there with us the entire time we traveled with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. So if we go through and we look at these right here, He said the men that was with us, this would be referring probably to the 70 that was with Jesus. The 70 that followed him from the beginning of his ministry. They saw Jesus' baptism more than likely. They saw Jesus' ministry. They saw his healings. They saw his display of power. They saw Jesus' arrest. They saw Jesus' persecution. they um, They saw his death. And then they've seen his resurrection. And so these are the 70 that say we've got to pull out. And so if we look at this, one of the things that, again, you just want to go through and just look at, all of this right here, we could, you could see even just as I got started off, and some of you are not into details, you're kind of like, you're losing me, you're losing me. There's so many details here. We can get lost in the details. And so for me, a person who really enjoys details, I've had to pull myself back a little bit and say, what's an overarching theme of this? What's something that we could pull out that could affect us and that we could see and that could change our view, not of just of, of, of what we do, but how we live our lives for God and what he's called us to. And so as we go through and we look at this passage, it's Peter standing up as leader, speaking to the early church, those that, who are going to start the early church. Peter's speaking to them, and he starts speaking to them from the word of God. Because the word of God is authoritative. The word of God is God's word spoken to us so that we can know what God's plans and purposes are. So he speaks from Scripture, and he's talking to them, saying, this is what we've got to do. And again, going back to what I opened up with, you can imagine them sitting there. Okay, Judas, right? Judas had betrayed them. I don't know if Chad was back there, but if somebody can get him to turn down my mic. I'm a little hot and echoey in here. But um, so Judas has betrayed them. Judas has gone through all of this different stuff, and beyond that, other than all of those things that just happened, right, he goes and he hangs himself, so he kills himself instead of repenting, instead of saying, I'm sorry, instead of making amends and doing those things, he goes and he kills himself, right? He's there, and he's hanging in a tree in a field, and he's either hanging there so long that decomposition. De- decomposed, uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Decomposition begins to happen, right? And, and that's what causes him to fall, right? Is either that, and then he bursts and then falls to the ground, right? Or that the tree broke and he fell, and because he was decomposing, that he burst. It's a gruesome scene, right? It's a gruesome scene, and all this stuff is taking place. And, and it means, like, you see somebody just hanging there. Nobody wanted to take care of him. Nobody wanted to do anything. This was somebody that was their brother, right? And now he's been left for this to happen, Right? And then now they're in a, a small place that Jesus has just ascended to heaven, and they're just kind of like, "What's going on? We don't know what's taking place. He said something's getting ready to happen, and we're believing in this promise, but now we're waiting, and waiting's taking time, and we thought this kingdom was going to look this way, but now it's going to look this way. They're all just like, "What is happening? There's failure, there's discouragement, there's waiting, there's impatience. There's all of this stuff taking place. How many of you guys ever been there, right? How many of you ever been there, right? You're in that place. That's where they are. Peter turns to Scripture, and he stands up as a leader, and he speaks from Scripture, and he says, this is what's got to take place. This is what's got to take place, and this is what's got to happen. And I think the overarching thing that we can pull out of this and that we can look at that can really make an impact in our lives today, that I know that has made an impact in mine as I've been looking at this and just thinking about this, and this is the first point today, is that God is redeeming the world through Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. He's redeeming the world through Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. See, so looks as you go through and you look at this, all this stuff's happened. And you say, "Man, Judas, you know, he walked away, and all this different stuff happened, and Jesus was murdered." And I mean, you just look at it. Like if we were writing the story, right? If we were, if we were making this thing up, it probably wouldn't happen this way right? If we were going through and we we're just like, if we we're in control of things, right, Jesus would come in and he'd be like, hey, you, 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 and you, you, and you. Yeah, you're really bad and you're messing things up for the world, so and then they're gone, right? I mean, that would be awesome and that would just kind of be the way I would write it, right? Because that would be pretty cool. But Jesus comes through and he comes into this world with all of its imperfections and he comes into people's lives with all of their failures and all of the discouragements and all of their weaknesses and all of the things that are present in each one of our lives. He comes into those and he doesn't say, This is what you got to do to change it. He doesn't say, Here's the steps that you got to follow. Here's the 21 steps to be perfect, right? He doesn't say, Here's the 17 steps to a happy life, right? He says, Follow me. You look at them in the church and they're in this moment. There's failure. There's all these things happening. There's all this stuff that's taking place. You see all of these things happening. And Peter says, listen, we've got to look at Scripture. And what does Scripture say? Long ago, through the mouth of David, the Holy Spirit predicted. Right? God has been in control the whole time. He knows what's taking place. He knows the things that are happening. This is not a shock to God. This is not something that is just overwhelming to him where he's up there in heaven going, okay, ah. Um, All right, this is a cool chess game. Okay, they just did that. I wasn't expecting that. Let's move this piece here. Let's see what happens. That's not what God's doing. God is in control. He's sovereign. He knows what's going to happen from beginning to the end. He knows he's in control of it. He's speaking to them and saying, listen, I knew this was going to happen. If you go back and you look at the psalms that Peter's referring to in Psalm 65, it's a psalm about Jesus. It is David who is in his circumstances, which he finds himself in similar circumstances, not the same circumstances, but in similar circumstances as Jesus, where he's being persecuted, he's being pursued after, he's being betrayed. And David is then being, through the Holy Spirit, offering up these things. That are prophetic of who Jesus is. In Psalm 139, which these are the two psalms that Peter pulls together, that he pulls together to speak to the to this body, to this early church. He speaks to them from psalms, and it shows that God is in control at all times. He's in control at all times, and this is huge for us because in our lives we try to take control. We try to take control. That we try to say, "Okay, I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to figure this out." Okay, this situation just took place, and all right, all right, I got to get my plan of actions in. I got to call my posse together. We're going to have to, you know, come to Jesus meeting as a family, and we're going to say, "Okay, all right, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and here's how you're going to change your attitude, little miss." Right? And so, yeah, that happened this week, with my daughter. But anyway, so you know, like we're going through. All right, we've got to take these steps. We got to do these things. because We got to fix this thing. We try to take control of situations. Instead of allowing God to be in control, to realize that he's in in control and that he has a plan that is to be worked out. So we go through and we want to figure it out. We want to know what what it is that we're supposed to do instead of being able to submit to his plans and thrive in his grace. We've got to understand that God is in control of all situations. Tullian Division says this, and and, uh, he's a pastor that's down in Florida. And um, talking about this idea and thinking of this idea... When you look at scriptures and when you look at the Bible and you look at the church and and their view of the Bible, oftentimes we go through and we look at the Bible and we try to figure out how that we're supposed to live our life. We go through and we look at the Bible as a how-to manual, right? What are the the steps that I'm supposed to have? How am I supposed to live this life, right? Jesus doesn't give us the how-tos, right? He gives us the why, right? If you want to go through and you're trying to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to find the right spouse for me, right? Right? If you try to go through the Bible and find out how to find a spouse for you, I'm I'm scared for you, right? If you try to follow literally on the how-to, depending on the story that you pick, you could end up with some jacked-up situations, all right? The literal how-to's is not the point of Scripture. The why is the point of Scripture. The why is Jesus Christ, the why is Jesus Christ. Scripture, Julian Division says this, he says, Scripture is not about the work of the redeemed, it's about the work of the redeemer. Listen, what we have to get and what we have to understand is, is that God is in control. From the beginning of time, he knew what was going to take place, and his plan was Jesus Christ. You look at Judas and you look at his situation, you look at what we talked about earlier, this larger number of people that existed that saw Jesus risen from the dead and not part of this group. And we talked about how people can believe, but they cannot confess him. They can believe, they can say, yeah, okay, there he is, I saw this happen, but that does nothing for me, I'm not going to submit to that. We talked about that. We talked about those things that could take place even in church today, that we have people that can go to church forever and ever, and they can be a part of it. They could be on the board, and they don't even have a relationship with God. It's because we're unwilling to submit to the fact that God is in control, and that he's got things worked out, and that his working and his plan is Jesus Christ, not our efforts. And when we look at Judas, and we look at the way he did and the, the actions that he took, This doesn't raise any question or doesn't raise any concern in the sense of, oh, can I fall away from God? And, oh, can I mess up too much? And, oh, he never chose to follow God. From the very beginning, when he was a disciple doing ministry of Jesus, he was stealing money from Jesus. He was cooking the books and taking money. He was never in it for Jesus. He was in it for himself. When, we looked at this, when he looked at life and the circumstances that were taking place, it was about how he could control his situation, never about how he could surrender his life to Jesus and how Jesus can come in and take control of his situation. And that is the big thing for us that we've got to understand and that we've got to look at, that when we go through and we understand who we are, that we're not in this life and we're not here just for our own good or for our own benefit. We don't come to church so that we can experience good things and so that we can be happier people, but we come to church and we live our lives for Jesus because we're submitted to him, because he's in control, because he's got plans and purposes that he's working out that are bigger than us, that are beyond us, and more incredible than we could ever imagine. And when we understand that he's in control, that he's working things out, then we can be encouraged and have the faith to say, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to go where you want me to go. I'm able to say what you want me to say because you are in control. When we understand that this book, that this life, that this thing is not about what we do, it's not about our efforts, it's not about our accomplishments, it's not about our failures, it's not about what we have done right, it's not about any of those things, but it's about what Jesus Christ has done and what now we can do through him, then we begin to understand and we begin to see that he is in control and that he's working all things out through Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, he came to redeem the world. He didn't come just to make us better people. And if you're looking for a religion that helps you to be a better person, there are some things that you can go and you can find that can temporarily make you feel like you're accomplishing things. can make you feel like you're accomplishing things task. You're going to make you feel like you're taking steps forward and that you're becoming a better person, right? But eventually you're going to find out that those do not lead to fulfillment, but they lead to dissatisfaction. You can go through and you can look at people and you can look at their testimonies. that lived their lives for something other than Jesus and overwhelmingly when people are honest with themselves and they're honest on their deathbed, they feel like it was all for nothing. But you would be pressed to find somebody who, and I've been in the room with many people that have, that have lived their lives for Jesus Christ, and they could die with a smile on their face saying, hey, maybe I didn't experience everything I wanted to experience. Maybe I didn't get to do everything I wanted to do. Maybe I didn't accomplish all the things I wanted to accomplish. And you know what? There's a lot of things that I failed in. But you know what? I feel like I gave my best for Jesus, and I can die with peace, and I can die with joy. And when you understand that God is in control, that he didn't come to make us better people, but that he came to redeem us and to make us right with him. He didn't come and show you how you could take a couple steps so that you could be good enough for him. He came and said, there's no way that you will ever be good enough for me. There's no way you will ever accomplish what you need to accomplish. There's no way you ever can do anything. You cannot say, I'm sorry enough. You cannot sit and time out long enough to be forgiven of your sins. The only way that can happen is through Jesus. And he came to redeem the world through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's showing us that he's in control, that he's bringing together a group of people because it was his plan to build his church so that the people of this world could know that jesus lived died and rose again he's in control he's redeeming the world through jesus christ he's making things right through jesus christ Man, this is absolutely massive for us to get because oftentimes we are more concerned about what we can accomplish and what we can do than we are about what God has done through Jesus Christ. If we can sit back and we say, wow, look at this. Jesus is in control. Man, Thousands of years ago, David prophesied about this moment that we're in right now. And he said that things were going to work out and this is the way it was going to go. I can't wait to see what happens. Right? Right? That's not what they did. Amen. Amen. That's not what they did. So Peter goes through and he says this. He says, you know, Peter continues. This is written in the book of Psalms where it says, let uh, his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were there with us the entire time we traveled with the Lord Jesus From the time he was baptized until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. If they could have just stopped at that point and said, let's see what happens. I think that as you go through and look at it, and this is, can I just be honest with you, okay? I'm just being straight up honest with you because I'm not going to preach anything that's crazy. This is my opinion Okay, this is my opinion and my understanding after I've studied, read, and looked at this and read a bunch of other people. My opinion is, is they did not in that moment have to make the decision that they made. I feel like they got a little ahead of God because they were trying to accomplish something. They were a little tired of waiting. They were a little rushed in their decision-making. They were just like, okay, oh, wow, this makes sense. Oh, oh, look, it's supposed to happen this way. Oh, look, this is supposed to happen. Oh, look, wow, this was prophesied 2,000 years ago. Now it's taking place. Instead of stopping and saying, wow, God is in control, they said, okay, wow, this is happening. So now we have to do something. They have to do something. And they rushed into it, and they started to say, hey, listen, this is what we've got to do. We've got to pick somebody. And so they take their group of people, and they go through, and they pick out, uh, they pick out a guy named Justice, right? And then they pick out a guy named uh, Matthias, and Justice is his surname. But they, um, they pick them out, and they've got them there together, and they can't make any decisions, and they can't figure out what's going on, and so they kind of leave it to chance, and they throw it out there, and they kind of rush into their decision. And I say that to think about when you just look at the point that we just talked about, is that God is redeeming the world through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. If you're sitting there in a moment and you read the scripture and you see that God is in control, and you're made aware of that, think about your circumstances and your situations. When you're going through failure, you're going through discouragement, you're going through a place where you just, you just, you're, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're worn out, you want to see something happen. Just remember that God is in control. God is in control, and that he has accomplished all things through Jesus Christ. He's accomplished all things through Jesus Christ. It says this in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can listen to me. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first at everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven on earth by means of Christ's blood and the cross. He accomplished all all things through Jesus Christ. When you look at your life and you look at your situations and you feel like your failures are overwhelming you, I just want you to know that God accomplished all things through Jesus Christ. When you feel discouraged, and you feel like you're not quite doing enough, or you feel like you're failing in some way, I want you to know that God accomplished all things through Jesus Christ. When you look at your kids, and you're like, they're just not quite the kids that I want them to be yet. I don't even know if they're fully human, right? Just know that God has accomplished all things Jesus Christ. If you gather around Jesus, and you submit to Him as Lord, and you say, I confess Him to be Lord, and I know that He lived, and I know that He died, and I know that he rose again from the grave and I know that he is God and I know that he is in control of all things and I know that he is making all things right I can trust and believe that he's accomplished all things and that I can wait patiently and I can see that God will work this thing out and I'm going to give it to him I'm going to submit it to him I'm going to allow him to do his plans and his purposes so going back to the scripture real quick why do I think that it's my opinion that they rushed a little bit in this, you look at Matthias, he's, this is the only time he's mentioned in Scripture he's never mentioned again. Never mentioned again in Scripture. I just find that a little bit interesting, that he's never mentioned again. And there's others that they're mentioned in some way, and there's just a short verse or anything like that, so maybe it's just inconsequential. But then you do look, as you go on into Acts, you do see somebody who now raises up and becomes an apostle. An apostle being somebody who saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who could be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. And you see Paul become the apostle. And he himself, and is affirmed by the others, as someone who saw Jesus risen from the dead. In a unique and powerful way. And he was given a unique and powerful mission to go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Just my thought, just my interjections, that if they just would have waited, and if they just would have sat back and said, you're in control, you're going to accomplish all things, this thing's all yours, it's not for us, and it's not by our efforts that anything's going to get worked out, it's all by yours, that in time, the Paul situation, they would have seen that thing worked out, and they would have been like, wow, look at this, this is the 12th person, and who knows what would have happened from that, Right? Again, that's all just my opinion, that's just my thoughts on it, but I think you can pull nonetheless, whether that would be actual or not, is that a lot of times we can get ahead of God, we can get into situations where we get tired of waiting, where we get exhausted. Instead of trusting in the reality that God is in control, that He's sovereign, all things are under His eye, all things are under His watch. He knows what's happening, He knows what's taking place that He is all authority under His control. And that God doesn't come in, and He doesn't move things and change things, and He doesn't demand things of us, that He allows us to make our own decisions. And even in that, that He still allows His plan to work out. Should encourage us and help us to see that He has a purpose for us, and that He has things for us to do. And that when things fail and things look like they're falling apart, when things are just going the opposite way that you wish they were going, that if you stop and you pull back, You're like, I know who Jesus is, and I know the life that I have that is promised in him, and I know that he's in control, and I know that he's making all things right. I know that he's accomplished all things. He's already satisfied God's judgment and wrath in my life, and I am free to live my life as God wants me to live. You'll be able to find liberty and freedom and not condemnation. I know for me, as I go through, and I even look at my own life, and I even look at this week, what I was discouraged in, when I got exhausted in, it was that I was like, I got to get up, and I got to get up early enough so that I can pray a little bit more. Man, if I could spend a little bit more time reading my Bible, or or doing a little bit more study, then the the sermon's going to be that much more impactful. Instead of just sitting back and saying, God's in control, I just wanna be in His presence. I wanna allow Him to do what He's doing. He's accomplished all things. I don't have to put forth my efforts to make Him more proud. I don't have to put forth my efforts to make something more successful. I have to look to Him more and to say, You're doing this thing. And all that I have to do is just relinquish back to Him and say, I submit to you. You're in control you're working, you've accomplished all things, you're going to make all things happen, and I just want you to be seen. I want you to be known, and I'm not worried about how that works out, because you know what? How I want it to work out is small in comparison to how you're going to make it work out. If we could just pull back and just submit to that and say, God, you're an amazing God. I'm exhausted, and I'm tired, and I'm worried, but you're in control. I'm not going to force something to happen. I'm not going to push something and and, and make things happen. I'm not going to limit the situation by trying to take control. I'm going to open up the situation. I'm going to free myself to know your liberty. I'm going to free myself to know your grace by saying that you're in control. That Jesus has already accomplished everything. He's already accomplished everything. And if you find yourself in a place where you've tried to take too much control, Or you find yourself where you have taken control of your situation and you've tried to make something happen. A third point for you this morning is is that he works through us even in our limitations. He works through us even in our limitations. If we go through and we go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus. And Matthias, and there's a lot of thought and interjection of who these two were. Interestingly enough, there's more known about um, Barsabbas than there is about Matthias. So it's interesting to know there's more known about him. Um, His name reveals a lot about him. Bar is son of, and then the rest of it could be son of oath, could be son of virtue, son of character. So it shows that he was a very respected and known person. This name was given to him probably by Jesus or given to him by the disciples so that they could distinguish him as a, as a respected leader in their community. There's just all kinds of things, interestingly enough, that he's not chosen, but Matthias is chosen over him. And I don't know what that means, so you can have fun studying that, but in verse 24, then they all prayed, Oh Lord, you know every heart. You show a with each of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. When it says they cast lots, what it was is a Jewish custom. What they would do is they would take a wooden block or a stone. They would take two, and they were trying to make decisions, and on one stone they would write individual's names of which they're trying to make decisions about. And on the other stone, the other wooden block, they would write down the position that was going to be held. And so they would take them, they would put them in an urn, and they would kind of, you know, do the Yahtzee thing, right? And they would throw them out. And whatever name and position came up is what that was determined to be. In In Proverbs chapter 35, it says that God is in control, and that not even the dice fall without him being in control. So they had an understanding, and they had to think that, that this wasn't just a, 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 a situation of chance. This was something that they believed that God was doing through providence. That when they did this, and they were throwing this out, that God was working in them, and that God was saying, this is what I want to have happened. So let's not take away that this is God's plan for us, and that the disciples were modeling for how we were supposed to discern God's will, right? It's not for you to go and say, okay, cool, let's go to the 7-Eleven today and get a lottery ticket, right? And if I win today, right, then he's supposed to, you know... I'm supposed to move to the Bahamas today, right? <laughs> right? If I go through it, if I get two sevens and I'm supposed to quit my job, right? If I get three sevens, I'm supposed to quit my job and leave my family, right? No, that's not the way it works out, right? So that's not what is modeled here. And it's probably, honestly, what even makes me have the opinion that I do have of this passage is because this just seems odd. It seems unfitting because Jesus never modeled to make decisions this way for them. They never showed that this is the method in which you're supposed to do it. What they were doing is they're reverting back to their Jewish traditions. Their understandings that were pre-Jesus, that's what they're going back to. They're pulling more back into themselves instead of pulling into what God had called them to do. Right? And so we look through this and we see that he can work through us even in our limitations. Beginning that number of 120, I talked about it was a relevant number in Jewish tradition. The number 12, which were the disciples and the, the understanding of the disciples, is a very important number to them as well. And they understood because of prophecies a number of things that that 12 should be in place. Then they go through again and they do the casting of lots. To me, when I just look at it briefly, and when I look at this, I just see them reverting back to themselves and them relying on their efforts to figure something out and take control of a situation. And I know me and I know my life, and if the worship team can come forward. I know me and I know my life and I know my circumstances. Is that that is my tendency. Is to take control of a situation. To say, I want this thing to work out my way. I don't know what could happen. I don't know what could take place. I don't know what all is at at the works, and I just, I don't know if I can trust God in this, so I'm going to do it. Of course I don't say those words. That's what my actions say. As a church, a lot of times what we can do is we can quickly pull up Scripture, and we can say, listen, here's what the Scripture says, and we can just run, and we start coming up with our ideas of what that means, instead of sitting back and saying, this is what Scripture says. Let's pull back and just look. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, when they were gathered together in an upper room and they're just praying. They're gathered together. They're praying and they're completely unified, just waiting on God. I'm not trying to make too much of an opinion, so please trust me on this. What I'm pulling out is a truth that each one of us do, is that we rush into our own ideas instead of actively waiting for God to display his plans and his purposes. God is in control, he's redeeming the world through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's accomplished all things through Jesus Christ, all things, all of your your failures, every bit of your sin, every bit of it when you submit and say you are Lord of my life. I'm making a vow to follow you and submit my life to you. In that moment you are not made better. In that moment you are not a little bit different. In that moment you are completely right with God. In that moment you are His child. In that moment you are called his and he has got a plan and a purpose for you. Let our tendency be to trust him and to know that he's in control. That when situations arise that we don't understand and we even see that action needs to be taken, let our first response be, God, do what you want to do. I want to wait patiently and I want to wait actively for you to do your plans. Like, Jamie, that just seems like there's a lot of inactivity. I could just sit back for a long time and just say, well, God hasn't done anything yet. No, I'm saying to actively wake. That you're calling out to God and you're saying, God, what is it you want me to do? God, what is it you want me to say? God, where do you want me to go? And I'm telling you, when that's your heart, when that's your prayer, he's called you to be a witness for him. He's called you to go to the ends of this earth. He's going to give you the words to say. He's going to give you the places to go. He's going to make things right. And it might seem last minute to you, but he's in control and he's sovereign and he's got all things worked out and he's accomplished all things. You are his child and you can do what he's called you to do and you walk in faith in that. I'm just saying you don't have to make something happen. You don't have to try to force things. What I'm saying is in my own life is I don't want to continually try to put God in a box and say, God, here's the box that you can work in. I trust Yahtzee more than I trust you. I want to say, God, I don't know how it's gonna work out. And you know what? How it worked out in Hugh's life is gonna be completely different how it worked out in my life, but I know it worked out in his life. And I know this thing right here, I know it's true, I know your Holy Spirit spoke it, and I know that you say you're in control, and the purpose of this book is not to show me how to do something, but to show me why to do it. And the why is Jesus. And the reason he's the why is because he's done everything this book said he would do. That he accomplished all the hows that are in here that I could never accomplish. And I'm gonna submit to him and I'm gonna say you are Lord, You are king, you are God, you are everything to me, and I'm going to let you be in control. And when I let you be in control and I wait patiently, you're going to send your Holy Spirit so that I can actively do what you've called me to do. And that is what I want us to do. And that's where I want us to be as a church. I want us to be thriving in the goodness and the grace of who God is. Not just sitting back and saying, well, I don't know if this is going to work out. Well, I don't know. Maybe this is what we should do. Here's my opinion of what we should do. I want us to say, here's what Scripture says. Let's go to God and let Him lead us through His Holy Spirit. Let Him guide us and direct us. And then when we go, we have the power to make a difference for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Stand with me if you will. Let's worship God and call out to him.